Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now, I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Oh, yeah. You know, that is the question, and there is no doubt about it. We check in with every person we meet to say, hey, is there something that you want to change about yourself? Now, I just had a man recently say to me, we actually had an appointment set up, and he said, okay, I'll meet with you today, but I got to tell you, I don't think I'm ready to give it up. And you know what? I understood that. There is no reason to mess with his time and mess with mine if he's going to still be acting out and not working a program. Because the truth of the matter is, I want people to really get healthy about what they're willing to do to make their life different. That means I need people to work the recovery tools. I realize that that is tough. There is no doubt in my mind that when somebody decides to work the recovery tools, that they have to be able to be committed to the process of recovery. And wow, what do I know to be true? I know that people are not necessarily ready until they've hit rock bottom. Now, the truth of the matter is, there's a lot of people that haven't hit rock bottom. I would love to say that people can make this thing work and not hit rock bottom, but I promise you that my experience is that most people don't hit rock bottom until they absolutely, positively 
see that they have devastated their wives or their husbands with their own sexual addiction. That is a tough one, isn't it? You're not ready to do the hard work until you've devastated somebody else or you've lost your job or you've been humiliated in the paper or you've been arrested. Talk about this for a minute. What does it take to want to absolutely 100% change your life? Well, it takes a lot of stuff. It takes a desire to make your life happen. And the way you do that is to determine, can I live like this for the rest of my life? Because this is going to get worse. Am I ready to deal with this forever and ever and ever? Well, I don't know. But what I do know is the man that said to me, I'm not really ready to change He didn't have a relationship, so it was really all about his own inner desire. And what I know to be true is that when somebody does not have a true inner desire to change, they're not going to. So, okay, what makes that happen? Unfortunately, it is absolutely when they've embarrassed themselves or they've embarrassed somebody else. Now, I was talking to somebody a couple of days ago, and he had contacted me because he had hurt his wife, and he had told his wife he would contact me, and he did. And what ended up happening was that he really has both feet out the door. He's not ready to change. As a matter of fact, he wants to explore his addiction more and more and more. And what I mean by that is that he wants to partake in a lot of activity that is going to do him no good. Wow. So you may ask, why would somebody want to explore something that will do no good? Well, because... What has happened in the past is not strong enough to curtail that immediate gratification. And when immediate gratification rules, then you're not going to be able to suffice what you need to suffice to make things different. You know, and I know, So that's the cold, hard facts. So, okay, let's talk about this for a minute. You know, you may not have hit deal-breaking behavior. You may still want to act out. Why are you listening to this show? Well, I would have to believe that you're listening because you know what's in your best interest. You're just not there yet. So I say keep listening to the show. It's okay if you aren't ready yet. I believe you will be. And when you are, I want you to know there's a safe place you can come to get the help you need. But in the meantime, let's look at your collateral damage. What is the collateral damage for your life? If you're single, it might be your health. It might be your work. 
It certainly is your integrity. Can you think of some other things that it might have to be? If you're in a relationship, it might be that relationship. It might be your family. It might be your household. It might be your community. What is it going to take to help you to really work through this issue? And I say work through it because I promise you, you can work through it. You can learn how to manage this, and it can be dialed down forever. So if we were going to dial down it forever, what would it look like? Well, more than likely, what it would look like is it would look like the ability to have had something negative in your life become a virtue. Your recovery will make you feel good about yourself despite all the things that you hated. Hated about yourself, hated about the way you treated relationships, hated about how you went about your life. Wow, that's quite the positive. And that's what I know can happen for you. So I want to talk to you a little bit about today and what today is all about. You know, with COVID-19, you are so much more likely to be able to get telehealth with anybody from around the world. Here's the good news. Right now, while COVID-19 is, is around, you can, anybody for a therapist that you would like and see them in FaceTime, in Skype, phone coaching, Zoom, DoxyMe, or any other venue because what has been lifted during COVID-19 is HIPAA compliant laws. Now, I get that that may not be the safest thing for you, but for me, wow, this is amazing because I can see people right now charge them for insurance and not ever have them set foot in my state. That is an incredible thing, and that's not going to last forever, although I have a feeling If you get started now with somebody that you really like, a podcast you've heard, or a person that you've known of, thing is you probably are going to get to continue therapy with them even after COVID-19, because how are they going to cut that out? Come on now, I don't think they are. So the rule may be if you started with teletherapy during COVID-19, you can end until your treatment is terminated. That's not a fact. That's what I suspect. Another incredible thing is that you can possibly do lots of telehealth intensive trauma-related therapies like um, EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight via telehealth or somatic experiencing 
via the, the Internet, we have learned how to really branch out and make available to our clients things that we would have never have thought was possible. And it is possible. And so tonight, you're going to be hearing about how COVID-19 has created some very challenging experiences that has required extreme measures. And eye movement desensitization reprocessing, a.k.a. EMDR, is a trauma treatment that many people believe is way better than talk therapy because it helps you to process those things that you don't understand. Does that make sense? You're able to process things that your body and your mind has been storing because it's been unprocessable. And now what you can do through the use of EMDR is process those memories and particularly those traumatic events that have occurred in your past in a way that's safe and healthy for you because you have people that are experts in telecommunications and EMDR. So I have Samantha Amon on, and she is a telehealth EMDR specialist. And we are so excited that she's going to be talking about how do you do this work with clients via telehealth. Personally, I got certified and trained in this, but I do it face-to-face. I actually just said to a man who has said to me, hey, Carol, for our next appointment, I know it's COVID-19, but I'd really like to come into the office and start my EMDR. So I gave a big sigh and said to myself, okay, I'm going to see him. That's one person um, out of 10 that I'm going to see face-to-face, and I'm going to do that so I can provide EMDR. So now a week has, has passed and he's getting ready to see me tomorrow. And he said, uh, Carol, I don't think we better start EMDR yet because I'm not really comfortable with coming into the office. Well, A, I really accept and respect that. And B, I was kind of feeling that way too. I mean, I was going that extra mile to get this process started. So I'm super excited to see what Sam has to tell us about EMDR and how we can do that via telehealth. And she had gotten on our listserv um, through ITAP, which you all know it's our Certified Sexual Addiction Therapy Treatment Listserv, and she had talked a little bit about that. So I asked her to come on the show and share a little bit about what somebody could expect if they were going to do EMDR via telehealth. So, Sam, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Hi, Carol. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Well, yes, and I know that this is important for clinicians to hear, and we've got so many clinicians that listen to the show. It's also exciting for the clients who 
they want to continue their trauma treatment and they're not really sure how. So will you share a little bit about how you learned to do virtual EMDR? Sure. Well, I was originally trained in EMDR when I was getting my master's in social work back in 2008. And through my university, I went to the uh, University of South Florida, one of our instructors and another trauma um, resolution expert offered a three-day weekend of 15 CEUs to train us to do EMDR. And we all trained by tapping ourselves. So you had a partner, you had to do your own work, you had to come up with your own real trauma situation, and they taught us how to tap on our laps. So fast forward, I went ahead and took EMDR level one and two again to kind of get level two, a little bit more understanding of the EMDR. And again, we were taught by tapping your own lap or using the two fingers where you go side by side. I'm not a huge fan of that style, but I love the tapping. So when I decided to move my practice out of an office practice to virtual prior to COVID-19, but really because I wanted to travel around and still maintain my practice, um, then I switched all my clients over that wanted to stay doing, vir- you know, virtual counseling. And then I continued doing EMDR. I just taught them how to tap on their laps, just like I was taught. And when I was taking the EMDR level one and two training um, through an Andrea provider, which is the standard, you know, association for, you know, um, for teaching EMDR. And also if anybody wants to become certified in EMDR, when we learned, not only did we learn from the instructors and we practiced on each other, but the owner of the program of the training, we watched a lot of his videos and he did tapping. He had his clients tap on their laps. So I'm like, well, why can't we do this virtually? Of course we can do this virtually. And there's a lot of therapists out there that aren't really progressive and we're like, oh, no, that can't be effective. Well, it can. And I just tell them, listen, I'm a certified sex addiction therapist. I'm a progressive therapist anyway, you know, just as a CSAT alone. And so it's very Mm -hmm. successful. All of my clients get EMDR, and I just make sure that I can see them on the screen. I go through the protocol, tell them what they can expect. I run through the protocol with them so they know what to expect. And then for our next session, I make sure they're in a comfortable spot. I make sure they know the cadence of how to tap, you know, left, right, left, right, left, right, not real fast, real slow. And I'm able to watch them as they do the MDR. And then if I feel safer because they're in the comforts of their own home instead of having to get in their car and drive home an hour in traffic after just doing an EMDR session, especially if it's their first time ever doing EMDR. If it's my first time doing EMDR with them, I ask them to call, text, or email me the next day. Let me know you're okay. Just check in with me to let me know you're okay. And they do. And then that's, that's a safety protocol that I put in for myself just because it is virtual. But they're in the safety of their own home. Uh, I think it's much better. I really do. And I prefer the tapping over any of the fancy equipment. I have all the fancy equipment um, that works just as well, but I actually do like the tapping. On their own okay, and, and so, so that's what I do. Let's talk a little bit about that fancy equipment because obviously you can use your fingers and move back and forth, and that's how we're all trained when we're doing our training. But then we also have tappers, and explain to our listening audience what tappers are as opposed to the light bar. Sure. You know, EMDR is about doing bilateral stimulation to allow the left side of your brain to communicate with your right side of the brain to open up and release any blocked traumas. 
to release and reprocess those traumas. You know, when you go through trauma, especially as a child, which a lot of my clients have had a lot of, of childhood trauma, you know, the brain tends to shut down, but the trauma seeps out in different ways nightmares, you know, avoidance, et cetera, et cetera, with PTSD, for example. Um, so what happens is there's a lot of different equipment, but when Francine Shapiro started out, who developed EMDR, she just noticed that when her eyeballs went back and forth, she started to feel a little bit better. So I never was trained to do holding your two fingers up and going left and right. I've been trained that way, but more so I've been trained to do the actual tapping of the lap. So I'm most comfortable with the tapping. When I had a face-to-face practice, like an actual office and clients saw me, I actually did have the, you know, uh, you can get it through Imdria. Um, I bought the equipment where it's the headphones where you hear a buzzing, a gentle buzzing, left, right, left, right. Or you can put the um, pulsating sensors in the hand so it pulsates left, right, left, right. Really any type of left, right bilateral stimulation will work, will work well. Like even with children, they can do like, you know, they can take a crayon and color back and forth and back and forth vigorously on um, a piece of paper. And that can help children with the back and forth left, right type of bilateral stimulation. So I've actually tried the light bar, but in a therapist office as myself as a client, but I never really liked it. And it's not good for people that have seizure activity. If you have migraines, it can, it, you know, it can be uh, a challenge. It, it's, it can be counterproductive for some people. Some people love it. They love the fancy bar where a light goes back and forth and you follow the light. It never worked well for me. Um, I truly just prefer the tapping. I get that. And so let's explain to the listening audience when you're doing eye movement sensitization reprocessing, EMDR, you're actually moving the brain back and forth by watching either fingers or tapping, um, hearing sounds that go left, right, left, right, or like you indicated, tapping on your knees back and forth, back and forth, or a light bar that has a green, red, or blue light that goes back and forth and back and forth. And by virtue of that left-right movement, when you're thinking of an image or a memory, you can process it quicker and work through the trauma, if you will, the, the negative feelings and other things that are attached to that trauma because of the bilateral stimulation. Now, you said you learned EMDR how long ago? 2008 was the first time I was trained in EMDR. Yes, and EMDR is, is notably one of the most researched, um, effective trauma treatments that we initially learned how to do that when we were working with war veterans, but then quickly realized that if you had been abused, if you had been neglected, if you had been molested, if you had molested somebody else, if you had seen any kind of emotional, physical, sexual abuse, it really helped you um, work through the trauma by processing the memories. Now, how do you explain that to your clients, Sam? Because obviously you've been doing this a long time. Right. What I do is I explain to them, I kind of give them examples that they might understand. Like if a child witnesses um, a horrific 
you know, accident or some type of trauma, their brain tends to shut down. Like sometimes children don't even remember what had happened, but yet they might have nightmares. They start wetting the bed. They start sucking the thumb. They do, you know, they start regressing. It's like it's, it's seeping out in other ways. And so for a child, a child doesn't know how to process stuff. We're adults and sometimes don't know how to process our feelings. Children really don't know how to process their feelings. So what the brain does, I think it is a form of protection. It just kind of shuts down. And when it shuts down, it doesn't communicate back and forth with each other. So what EMD, let me backtrack, and there's all forms of trauma. Just being raised in a home where there's drug or alcohol addiction is trauma for a child. Some people, you know, it doesn't have to be a gun, a gun to the head or a robbery or a big fire or somebody was raped, you know, outwardly. It could be just, just, um, I don't say just because it's obviously a big deal, but having an alcoholic or drug addicted or any type of addicted parent causes trauma every day in the life of a child. So mm-hmm. a lot of times people grow up and don't realize what trauma is for them and don't realize things have been traumatic. So what happens is the brain kind of tries to go into self-preservation and it, sh- it tends to shut down and talk therapy can help open that up. But sometimes people can't go that deep into their trauma with talk therapy, whereas EMDR will get to it quicker by unlocking the trauma, allowing the brain to communicate now from left side to right side, to open the communication. And how I was taught, and I really do believe this is true, it helps to go deep inside the brain of where uh, faulty core beliefs are, are stored. And it helps to release those core faulty beliefs that we can enter in healthy, positive beliefs about oneself. And that's how there starts to be a shift and a change with EMDR. And then your body gets to reprocess because we can process trauma verbally all day long, but the body never forgets trauma. And EMDR helps the body to also reprocess that trauma as well. Less um, hypersensitivity, less hypervigilance, maybe um, high startle reaction, maybe less of a startle reaction, less nightmares, um, less fear, things like that. You start seeing some, some changes that way with EMDR. Well, and you had mentioned that Francine Shapiro, the founder of EMDR, if I'm not mistaken, she was walking through a park. It might have even been Central Park, and she was trying to work through some issues that she had, and she found herself looking to the left of the trees and the right of the trees and the left of the trees and the right of the trees, and that's when she realized, you know what? If I'm thinking through my problems and I look left, right, left, right, I actually feel better. And this woman obviously was amazing in that when she started this research and this process, she had every one of us doing it exactly the same so that she could measure it and measure it over time to see, A, if level of disturbance went down, um, subjective level of disturbance, and B, whether we could have a new cognition installed to replace the old one. Because whenever bad things happen to us, we usually have a core issue that is really, really negative. It might be, I am bad, I am unworthy, I am stupid, I am um, not likable. And so our listening audience, when you think about your core issues, you also want to 
be able to figure out, hey, how would you like to replace that? And Francine Shapiro created this process not only to process the trauma, the bad things that happened, but to replace it with a cognition that was much more positive. So how do you replace that cognition virtually? That's what I want to ask you, Sam. How do you do that virtually? Well, like anything else, you follow the protocol as far as having the disturbing image. Um, How disturbing is that image to you, you know, on a scale of like zero to ten? What is the negative belief about you? What is that, that trauma or that disturbing image? What is it do you feel about yourself when you think about that? And then I sometimes have to help them. Usually it is, I'm not good enough. I'm powerless. I, I, um, I'm not worthy. It's about, usually it's about shame. Most often than not, it's about shame. But I try to help the client find what words fit best for you of how you feel. How did that make you feel? And I say to them, what's the opposite? This is not a trick question, but what's the opposite of that? Well, I'm worthy. Uh, I'm worthy of love. Exactly. So that's the positive that we try to install in that. And so as we go through the protocol of EMDR, um, and as we notice that their level of disturbance starts to get lower we're towards the end of the session, that's when they start doing some tapping. And I say that positive belief to them as they're tapping it in. We want to take out the negative core beliefs and we want to replace it with the positive, healthy core beliefs in their words of how it made them feel and then find the opposite belief of that. And then what I do is I, I, I talk to them about why it's important not to do your own EMDR. I don't do my own EMDR. A surgeon does not do their own operation. You know, it doesn't work. Um, But what I do suggest as a form of self-soothing is I have them do very slow, gentle tapping as a form of soothing, whether they tap their elbows, they um, tap their knees as well at home in a very slow pace, but then to say a positive affirmation to themselves, I am okay today, I'm worthy today, I am worthy of love today, whatever resonates with them as a form of self-soothing. So that's another tool that they get from learning how to tap through EMDR, where EMDR is a faster-paced tap because we really kind of want to get in and process. Yet when they're home, I want them to do a very slow, steady tapping to say a positive affirmation for themselves because we have to start replacing the old tapes with new tapes that are true. Absolutely, and I am so happy that you mentioned that because truly – we have to think about what we would prefer to believe about ourselves. Whenever you have a negative cognition, something that you don't like about yourself, you have to determine what is the opposite of that and would you want to adopt that into your psyche. Now, you have them tap, so there's not anything you do virtually that involves any kind of light. I know that there's plenty of EMDR therapists that practice this via telehealth, that they do have a light that goes back and forth. I was just sharing with one of my clients today that I got the um, the app for that, and it didn't work. And so it would not go back and forth. And I thought, oh, my goodness, how could I do EMDR if it doesn't work? But you are doing it just by having them tap on their knees, back and forth, back and forth. Correct? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's just how I was trained. In face-to-face trainings, I was trained to do the tapping. And so it's what I know. Yeah. It's what works well. 
Yes, and so you were willing to help our community of therapists uh, have faith that you can virtually work with somebody in trauma. And let's face it, we have two types of clients right now that are reaching us through telehealth. They are either the clients that have always known that they could do telehealth or they are right now experiencing COVID issues or issues during the COVID time, and they're wanting to talk to a therapist. And there's never been a better time to do telehealth because the government has said we can use Skype, we can use FaceTime, we can use phone coaching, we can use Zoom, we can use Me. There are all sorts of ways. And if you have insurance, your insurance will pay that person. So have you found that to open up your practice? Uh, not, not just yet, to be honest with you. I, um, I am licensed in three different states, so I have clients in those states. Um, I don't take insurance. I may reconsider that, um, but I just have a choice that I don't take insurance. So I know it's difficult. I get many calls every month, I probably get a call a week from somebody looking for a therapist that takes insurance. So it's a choice I make as a therapist. I I probably will kind of think and pray a little bit about that and maybe um, sign up with an insurance because I know it's so important now for people to get to get care. This is an extremely stressful time. This is the only safe way for them to get therapy is through some type of telehealth. And, and there's a lot of people out there that need help. And my prices are not that high for a CSAT because I, I truly am a believer that I don't want it to be where only the wealthy can afford to get sex addiction help. I'm just a social worker at heart, and that's truly what I believe. So my prices are not as high as a lot of other CSATs. Um, but I haven't noticed it, I do believe, because of the insurance factor. A lot of people um, – say that, you know, thank you for your information. I'm going to try to find a therapist that takes my insurance. And I get that 100%, and I do take insurance, but one of the things, I, I don't take all insurance. And so what I hear you saying is that right now you're um, self-pay and that you're fairly reasonable considering what people might charge for EMDR. Remember, folks, that is a trauma treatment. It is not just therapy. It's very specialized. It required 30 hours of supervision where the therapist had to pay a supervisor to learn how to do this as well as the two-weekend training for EMDR. And it's been like that forever and ever and ever. Now, how can they, Sam, get a hold of you if they're interested in doing some um, teletherapy with EMDR? Sure. Well, I do have a website. It is, um, you could just look up, it's my first name and my last name.com. It's Samantha Ammon, A-M-M-A-N-N. And my phone number is there. My email is there. I'm also on psychology today. Um, so somebody can look up my, my name that way. Um, and I'd be happy to help because it's just such a, it, it's such a great form of, of trauma resolution. And I'm happy to help people um, be able to be in the comfort of their own home and a little added 
privacy. If you, if you do have privacy at home nowadays, it's difficult with children and spouses being home. It's a little bit challenging. But another thing as well is my clients travel. I have clients that go back and forth between the states and Europe, and they're able to take their trauma resolution with them when they're in Europe. Um, and so that's, that's been a, a, a big factor as well. So yeah, I do have a website um, and I'd be happy to help anybody um, you know, who'd like to try this trauma, this trauma resolution is very, very effective. Absolutely. And so when you say trauma, help our listening audience know what is considered trauma, because originally you were talking about alcoholic parents. And I keep thinking of Patrick Carnes, our guru, our leader, our founder of certified sexual addiction therapy. And he has said, and I remember this so clearly. He said, you know what? People can be physically, sexually, or emotionally abused. But truly, the big abuse that occurs that one doesn't recognize is neglect. When you've been neglected and you've had to fend for yourself and maybe that results in you taking care of others, that is as much of an abuse as physical, sexual, or emotional abuse. So when you're thinking about doing EMDR, Sam, who, who are the people that you're working with? What are some of their issues? Right. Most often people seek my assistance out because I do specialize in sex addiction. I also specialize in eating disorders. Um, a lot of times they go hand in hand, sexual issues with food issues. I also help clients that have just any type of anxiety, um, depression. I, I have a long background of working with um, people that have had severe mental illness as well. Um, I've been a registered nurse for 32 years, so I've got a large medical, a long medical background history. Sometimes people have had trauma at work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, so I really help, really open to, to anybody. I mean, I don't specialize in things like um, adoption, things like that really aren't my area. I'm not necessarily a couple's therapist either. I do couples counseling if one person is an identified sex addict or the partner of a sex addict. That I feel very comfortable with. I think it's important to bring the partners in um, to understand the recovery process. Um, I've also had times where I've had, I was contacted by the FBI with somebody that had a serious trauma that happened at work and we did EMDR and it was amazing. In four EMDR sessions, this person was completely transformed with their trauma. Uh, I mean, just was that, that quick, that obvious people that have had long-term and, and neglect, abandonment, people that are from addicted homes. Anytime there's an active addiction in a home, that is neglect for a child um, because that addiction kind of sort of takes precedence, unfortunately, over the, the children. But um, so for clients like that, sometimes it takes longer time with EMDR, kind of like a continual process, just like the recovery process, just like therapy, CBT therapy, mindfulness, things like that. Um, but yeah, there's not a, there's not a lot of trauma that I haven't uh, worked with. I work with somebody that's had a lot of um, medical trauma from being in intensive care unit and numerous surgeries. And I've done EMDR with that person as well, very successful. And of course I have such a long background that I understood a lot of the things she's had to experience from the, from the position of being a nurse that worked ICU for years. Um, 
Yeah, so I've, I've, I'm very comfortable with a lot of different settings to help people with EMDR, you know, to help them with their trauma through EMDR. Absolutely. And you actually got your CSAT how long ago? I got my CSAT in 2012. Okay. And so you actually did EMDR before you even got your CSAT. I did, yes. And mm-hmm. you know why I got I got my EMDR because I was in the midst of my e, uh, my CSAT training, and three quarters of the people that I was working with, um, learning with, uh, the students for the Certified Sexual Addictions Therapy Program, they were either getting their EMDR uh, qualifications or they had that, and I said. Why are why are you all doing this? And they said, sex addicts so oftentimes have so much trauma that they need to process that this was an expedient way to help them with their issues. Well, then, Sam, I got my partner trauma-sensitive um, clinician background. I got my CCPS, and what I found were partners, after finding out about the sex addicts, had significant trauma and they needed EMDR to help them work through that because you and I both know that when bad things happen to good people, whether you're a sex addict or you're a partner, you always walk away thinking that you did something to cause it or that something about that was your fault and you feel unworthy. And so those core issues are something that most people benefit from when they practice EMDR. And we teach them how to do it, but like you said, there are certain ways that they can also um, help facilitate that process for a matter, as a matter of fact. Francine Shapiro has that Getting Past Your Past, which is the book for clients as to what they can do to help process trauma and emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. Now, she does not suggest that a person do that on their own, but there are techniques that can help them when they're working with an EMDR therapist. Have you had a- I have not. I know, it sounds like a great book. I mean, I would, I would be happy to read anything that that woman wrote, to be honest with you. Um, that's a good – tell me the name of that book again. It's called Getting Past Your Past. And so many clinicians think, think it's for them, but it's not. It is written for the client to help them understand what EMDR is and then to give them some basic processes that they can do before, during, or after EMDR with their therapist. It's amazing. Mm. So, yeah, I would highly recommend that. And I, I typically ask my clients to get it prior to me starting EMDR. You know, before you came on, I, I had an EMDR session scheduled for, with somebody who was kind of miffed that he was having to do telehealth with me the last time we met. And he's like, well, I thought we were going to do EMDR. And I wanted to be in the office to do EMDR. And so I said to him, I will come in specifically for you. We'll practice social distancing. I do have a light bar and I do have tappers. And... Mm-hmm. I thought, I'll be able to do this. But then 
now it's been a couple of weeks later and things are even tighter in terms of our own safety. And he didn't want to come in. He goes, I'll wait for EMDR till I can see you. And it was at that point that I thought, oh, I wish I would talked with Sam several weeks ago. Maybe I could have done this virtually. So what I want our listening audience to know is that before you do EMDR, there is some questions that you have to ask the client. You know, obviously the client comes in with some problems, but then you usually identify three areas of concern. When they have an issue, you say to them, hey, what's the present-day issue that you're dealing with? And then what was the worst time that you ever felt those feelings? And what was the first time that you ever felt those feelings? And once they identify that, Sam, what do you ask them next? Well, you know, I, I talk to them as you start to get to know your clients and they start to open up and build rapport with you. And then you start to realize, wow, there was a lot of trauma here, you know. Um, and then what happens is I talk to them about EMDR and I usually talk to them before we do the session because I like to explain to them, just like I was talking to you on this podcast about this is how it was developed. This is how the brain works. I think it's important to explain to them how the brain works. It was really important for me to understand how EMDR worked with the brain and how it works. And so they kind of like get an understanding of that. Um, And I'd let them know too with EMDR, it's kind of like we're going to allow the brain to go where it needs to go. We might, you might think you want to work on this one area, but the brain, we're just going to let it go where it wants to go. It'll heal what it wants to heal. You know, it'll go where it needs to go at the moment to heal. And we're just going to let it go where it needs to go. So I just do a lot of teaching that way with them. And I I let them know that sometimes people have different reactions to EMDR. Some people feel very tired afterwards. So allow yourself to just rest, take a nap if you need to. Some people feel very relieved and energetic, like, wow, I feel like stress relief. And some people feel the heaviness of their trauma where they're still processing. Like I let them know EMDR is still going to process after the session. And even if you don't think EMDR is working, it's working. And I just make sure that they're safe, that we do EMDR, not before they have a meeting, not before they go to work, not before they have to take their kids to a PTA meeting, but at a time where they can just honor their bodies and see how they might respond to it. And all those responses are perfectly normal and to be expected. And so I just do a lot of teaching so much about the, about the EMDR, what to expect in a very um, kind of basic terms that anybody would understand because basic terms are the way I learn best myself to really get a grasp of it. And then I think they feel safer with it. And I let them know I've done it many EMDR myself. I would not suggest anything for you that I'm not willing to do or haven't done myself. So I think it gives them a sense of ease and understanding about it. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. And again, you really learned how to do this outside of the box. And it sounds like it has really worked for you. Now, when you do this, are you using Zoom or FaceTime or DoxyMe? I mean, are you getting to see them as you're doing it? Yes, I I would I would not do it unless I was seeing them. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I use Zoom now. Um, and I have group therapy and I use Zoom and whatnot. So, yeah, I do use Zoom. And I make sure that they're in a comfortable position because, you know, their hands are going to be working throughout the session, you know. And I always let them know if they ever need to stop, just put your hand up 
and tell me to stop. Or you can say stop, but the universal sign, stop, put your hand up. So we go over that safety. We go over their, where their safe place would be. I really just kind of follow the protocol. And I make sure, I said, be in a comfortable position. Make sure you're sitting upright. Put a pillow behind your back. A lot of times they'll be sitting on their couch or someplace comfortable, and they just do their tapping. And I can see them. I can hear them, and I can see them. So I can see their eyes moving. When their eyes are closed, I can see their eyes flicker, so they're processing. I watch their body. I've had many times where clients just say they have to stop and really started crying. And I say, okay, it's okay if you want to stop, and it's okay if you feel comfortable to move to move what would you know what they want to do. And and I let them do what they need to do. And each person processes it differently. Every person's different, and they process it different. Yeah. But yeah, I'm very much into safety with them. Safety, safety, safety. Well, and I get that 100%. And so I wanted to clear that up for anybody listening. Whoever is your virtual EMDR therapist, they will be watching you to make sure that you're safe and make sure that you know that you can pace yourself, you can stop at any point, you can emote at any point, you can share at any point. And I always tell the people that I work with, and this is, of course, in the office, you know, I say sometimes you'll be thinking of an image and you'll go through your tapping or your um, eye movement and I'll say, hey, what comes up? Take a deep breath, blow it out, what comes up? And they'll go, nothing. And I'll go, okay, go with that. Because there's not a right or wrong in this situation at all. We trust you as our clients to, to be able to bring up what you need to bring up when you need to bring it up. It's really one of the most empowering therapies for the client that's ever been made. And Francine Shapiro said, you know, she wanted everybody to do it her way so that it could be measured and it could be standardized. And she could build from that. And, of course, she died last year, and we're all very sad about that. But she has left a legacy of one of the most effective therapies ever in the world. So, Sam... Thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge and information, and I wish you continued success. One more time, remind our listening audience, if they want to work with you, how can they get a hold of you? Sure. And thank you, Carol. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really been looking forward to to coming on your show. Um, Sure. My name is Samantha Ammon. That's A-M-M as in Mary, another A-N-N as in Nancy. So my website is SamanthaAmmon.com. My business number, it's a confidential number, uh, cell phone. It is 727-458-3668. So feel free to call me. Uh, feel free to look at my website and I'm on psychology today as well. And I'd be happy to help anybody that needs help. This needs help. That is truly my, the right life profession and, and absolutely my passion. Well, and I so appreciated when you were sharing with us that encouragement that we could all do this virtually. It really helps when we have colleagues that have done it, been there and can share their wisdom with us. So thanks again and continued success, and let me know what else you're doing in the future. All right. Talk to you later. And that that is about EMDR. And you've heard other shows about EMDR, but i got to tell you, the one thing that we know is that 
what I was, I'll just tell you my own personal story. Um, when I first heard about EMDR, I saw a lot of weird stories about it on Dateline and Nightline. And they said, oh, my gosh, people go back into their past and therapists make them bring up things that never happened and they're all traumatized. And I said to myself, oh, I would never, ever, ever practice that therapy. You got to be nuts to practice that therapy. Well, what I knew was that I didn't know. And then I met some respected colleagues who absolutely thought it was a great therapeutic technique, and I thought, hmm, I guess I need to stay open to that. Because one of the things I believe is that when you know better, you do better. And so then, like I told Sam, I was in my CSAT training, and at least three-quarters of the clinicians that I was working with and learning with were practicing this, and they were doing it for sex addicts. And I said, hmm, you know, if I'm going to be a good therapist and I'm going to be the most effective that I can be, I might need to learn this technique. And then last but not least, when I worked with partners and I saw how traumatized they were and how they had trauma brain and how they needed something quicker to get them through the trauma of finding out that the person they loved had a dual life that absolutely violated their sacred love relationship. I said, okay, that's it. I am learning this. So I have learned this technique. I've learned it for about, um, I think I was certified in 2007 myself. And um, it has been one of the most helpful therapies ever. Now, there's one reason I don't like it. And I bet, well, you probably don't know. I started to say I bet you might be able to guess. In EMDR, the therapist does very little talking. They facilitate the bilateral stimulation, but they really don't talk. You know what? That's really hard for me. I'm used to talking in my therapy. So once I got over myself and learned how to get out of my own way, I realized how valuable this could be. So I wish you lots of success, and I want you to continue to research it and decide if it's for you. And as I say at the end of every show, I hope that you learned something today. You know, there will only be one of you at all times, and I fearlessly want you to have the courage to be yourself. Make it a good wake. Get through this COVID-19. And I've been telling people, if you want to see me on TV, Google Carol the Coach on Fox 59, Indianapolis. Last week, I was talking about control. And this week, I was talking about channeling your inner happiness. Hey, we'll see you next week for more sex help with Carol the Coach. <laughs>